Let's see, Roger, you have some. Yes, thank you, John. Thoughts um, on the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, there's too much time for that. Okay. I won't do that. But good, good evening, everyone. We want to remind people on the, the Zoom meeting that this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel, Fatal Channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to us. And unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video on. It allows for the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you're participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat. Um, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. All right. Okay, thank you. Uh, first item on the agenda is review of the minutes and approval. Any issues with the minutes? The motion to approve. I'll make a motion to approve the minutes. Second. Okay. Two sets of minutes. No, there's only one. All in favor, just say aye. Aye. We're all here, right? Uh, Nobody's there. Andrea. Andrea. Andrea's Andrea. on there, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, good. Okay, so public comments. No public comment. We'll move on to the agenda. We have a new advisory board member, Betty Booth. Welcome, Betty. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll go around the room. Super, super. Yeah, born and raised in Lawrence, um, daughter of Arden, brother, sister of Hank, and um, I ran away from home and worked internationally uh, in marketing and communication for about 40 years. Um, and worked in about 30 countries and lived in seven. Um, lived in Santa Fe for 18 years and was on the Parks and, and the Open Spaces Advisory Commission there. Oh, was the chair uh, for eight years. And very different circumstances. We started by approving a 20 million, developing and approving a 20 million dollar bond. Uh, there's a long story with that, but so it was it was a very active and exciting experience. And I was just back in Santa Fe last week, and it was fun to go back and see the the parks and how they were doing. So very happy to be welcome. Be service. Welcome. Welcome back to Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go around the room. Name, uh, right? Very other Okay. So. Um, Betty John Nelbandia right. and a former faculty member, specialization in local government, eight years on city council, including a couple of years as mayor. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. And we did some work together back with Celebration of Cultures back then. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm Marilyn Hull, mayor board member. I've been on a member of this group for five ish years. And <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Say a little something. Um, I am a retired nonprofit management person. Worked for the Community Foundation and then have my own nonprofit consulting practice. Now I'm mainly a grandmother and father. Hi, Val Renault, and I am also retired. Been on 
the this group about the same, I think two terms as a chairman. And uh, I'm retired. My last job, I was working doing communications for a disability research group at KU. So I especially bring access, you know, as an issue, but there's a lot of other people here who, who are good at raising that issue too. So, um, and I bet, you know, children who are taking classes and I take classes and we love parks and rec. I don't golf, but we all have something that we do. That's <laughs> true. Hi, I'm Amber Nickel, and I've been on this board for almost three years or three-ish years. And I own Posh Wash, which is a dog grooming place with my sister. And I've been at the Lead Center, the Performing Arts uh, KU campus, Performing Arts building for about two years. Sam. And I have a 15-year-old that cares about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sam Thomas. I was also born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I think I've been on the board for like six months, something like that. Uh, I don't know, I got my master's at KU. Um, oh, I'm part of the board Skaters Association, so I'll do stuff with the skate parks. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, do you want another? Well, we, we met with her on Friday. Okay. We did an introduction that okay. we'll be giving to her to work later on right. as well. I'm John Wozniak. I've been on the committee six years. I've got two months to go. Uh, I'm a retired educator of 33, 33 years, principal, coach, AD, et cetera. I now work for the NCAA. Thank you, Jared. This is Andrea. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi. Uh, Andrea Chavez. Um, I did a partial term, uh, so I filled in a, a gap for someone that had left. And I work for Peasley Tech. I'm their executive director of grants and administration. Um, I'm very active within uh, Parks and Rec, doing a lot of different things, volleyball, kickball, um, uh, dodgeball, all kinds of stuff, um, and a golf. So, uh, but I was born in Baldwin, and I've lived in Lawrence since about 2000, so quite some time, and welcome. Thank you. And then Jackie Becker is the person that's not here. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's see, Steve Noah from Watkins, and I see Stan's here as well. So, I get to set up here. All right. No, no, he's going to take my seat. So, just great. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for giving me some time at your, or Stan and I, some time at your meeting. We, I promise we won't take up too much of it, but um, I wanted to share with you tonight a concept we've been working on at the Watkins Museum actually for several years. Um, it's kind of almost to the point where it's a proposal. Um, and once it starts to become a proposal, then we have uh, you know various different groups we need to uh, bring this to. It becomes more public. We're working it through city approval processes. And I wanted you all to know about it before it started to become uh, public. And what do we need to do to change the, is it just a pest? Try the um, arrow, the arrow. arrow key. Oh, sure. There we go. Um, so up front there was the, I think, will that work? Yeah, there we go. Um, the building you're probably familiar with, just right around the corner there. Um, 
how we were in the 1890s, how we are today, um, or pretty much today. I think the big difference besides the trees is that now the Massachusetts street is paved, which is kind of nice. <laughs> um, however, inside the building has changed quite a bit, and that has a lot to do with the growth in the in public engagement over the last 12 years. Um, you can see we've what, more than tripled uh, the number of people that we serve every year. And that bottom graph really, um, it's a little hard to tell in this slide, but if you add the orange line and the green line together, that's the number of people who are coming through the doors to visit the museum, to, to participate in the programs there. In 2020, you see we took a big hit, um, but we're starting to build that back up and uh, we hope to be able to get back on that, that upward um, trajectory. But what we've realized is that um, we're really taking our historic building to the maximum when it comes to the kind of expectations there are in the community for uh, museum amenities. People, like, when they enter a museum, they expect to find a lobby where they can hang up their coat and uh, meet their friends, and maybe there's a restroom. Um, uh, there's uh, also... Um, certainly growing in the community, uh, certain standards or expectations about uh, accessibility. And that's something that our building really wasn't meant to achieve. As you can tell from our stairs, we have an elevator, but you must tackle that flight of steps before you can get to the elevator. Um, it, it doesn't provide the kind of accessibility at the main entrance. We do have an accessible entrance off 11th Street, although it is not quite meeting standards. Um, and we do have a fully accessible uh, uh, restroom, uh, but it's on the second floor. So, and, you know, things just didn't work out quite right for us, um, but we do, we do have that. So we're starting on that process, but we've really come up against what, you know, what we can do inside the historic building that we have. Uh, and really the solution for that is to find a way to expand the museum. Um, and bring it more in line with the kinds of things that people expect when they when they visit public buildings in uh, Lawrence and the, we have the Art Center and the Dole Center and the uh, Jayhawk Visitor Center, uh, the library. Um, uh, peers of ours in terms of the way we, we serve the community, um, certainly not peers of ours in terms of what we can offer with our, through our facility. To address that, um, we've been thinking about how to expand the museum and the logical way to expand the museum in a way that uh, addresses the issues with the Watkins building itself is with something that is contiguous to the building. Uh, and this is where we've been working with Stan to see if there's something that we can create that will um, create a way of working around the issues in the in the building. Um, and the solution that, that we're looking at right now uh, uh, it, it attempts to to uh, not to mimic our uh, architecture or to uh, supplant it, uh, the Watkins building as the primary building on the site, but to step back uh, and blend um, the more traditional architecture of Massachusetts Street, that uh, early 20th century commercial uh, style of uh, of architecture with uh, some hallmarks of current contemporary uh, public buildings, which often have to do with a certain level of transparency, allowing people to see that there's public activity going on inside that building. Um, and that's what that, that glass entry pavilion does on that. 
um, it would change the main entrance to the Watkins Museum, utilizing the existing ramp into the Friendship Garden. It would be passage through the Friendship Garden that would create the entry experience for the Watkins Museum. Um, right inside that lobby would be elevator access that would allow you um, through a connector to um, reach all of the floors of the Watkins building, uh, restrooms, a public gathering space, all of that would be available uh, immediately inside the door. Um, and the other thing about connecting to the building by uh, moving north um, is that there's a historic connection between the Watkins building and that green space. Um, that was all J.B. Watkins property. Uh, and um, he, uh, it, it, when it became used as City Hall, then the logical um, thing for the green space was to begin to treat it as a city. Well, I'm not sure everybody knows that the building was City Hall. Yes, um, the Watkins building was the Watkins headquarters until uh, until 1929. J.D. had already passed away. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth Miller, who inherited um, his estate, she allowed the city of Lawrence to use that as City Hall. She wanted to make sure that the, the building continued to fulfill a public function. Um, so she needed use of that property to the city. She didn't deed the property. Uh, and then in, when City Hall moved on in the uh, uh, early 1970s, um, then the ownership of the, the building and what would happen to it came into question. And uh, various different lawyers and preservation groups and the Douglas County Historical Society worked together to um, uh, transfer deed from Elizabeth Miller Watkins' estate to the historical society. So we're the owners of that building and the lot that it sits on and the three and the three feet of the lot next door that it jumps over onto. Um, and the city retained the uh, ownership of the other two lots that formed that green space, but it was always a lawn um, with trees and, and plantings in it. Um, and in our little plan here, it shows the original opening into the garden um, of that little flight of steps being reopened. Um, so there's a there's a relationship with that with that space. This shows uh, Massachusetts Street there at the bottom, um, how the two buildings relate um, and also how it relates to the Friendship Garden. What we're proposing uh, is to use the parking strip that is behind the garden um, where uh, museum employees park and then extending towards Massachusetts Street and using about a third of the Friendship Garden as it exists right now. Um, the, uh, there to the uh, side where it says Japanese Friendship Garden, the little speckled area, that's the building um, that houses the Latchkey Deli. So it gives a sense of the garden still along Massachusetts Street or the existing Watkin building coming forward and the, the annex building uh, with an entry from the park sort of steps back from the park, which is um, well, I'll sh it'll show in some of the other um, uh, some of the other renderings. Uh, in terms of what that space would be used for, the first floor uh, is a lobby space, which, if you know the Watkins Museum, that's about the size of the community room, the long section of the community room. So it's a pretty considerable space where school groups can gather or we can launch walking tours. Um, the auditorium uh, is really a flat um, floored event space. We could set it up for about 120 people, but it also would work uh, for different museum activities or rental activities or community activities. Uh, and right now the, the um, Sister Cities program is doing their 
um, welcoming events when they bring a student delegation in or their farewell events when they send them off and the students meet their uh, host families. Uh, they've been doing that for the last couple of years at the Watkins Museum, and this would be a space that would be much more conducive to the larger groups that tend to come for that. Um, up on the second floor, um, the majority of that space would be a changing exhibit gallery. Uh, and some support space for our exhibit function that just can't be accommodated in uh, um, in the current Watkins building. Really, the only workspace we have is the former boiler room, which um, is lacking quite a, quite a bit. Uh, then up on the uh, third floor, uh, we have a uh, some office areas, a conference room that would be used by museums and museum groups, but we have a number of groups like Sister Cities, like the Lawrence Preservation Alliance that meet in our building on a regular basis. Uh, and that would be a room that they would be able to use for their meetings. Uh, and then the gallery up there, uh, in partnership with Sister Cities, we envision that as a place to display some of the um, exchange gift collection that's right now on the um, fourth floor of City Hall. It would be in a, in a facility that's more publicly accessible that way and kind of appropriate to the uh, to that as a meeting place for um, for the Sister Cities program. This gives a little bit of, of a better sense of how that building occupies that space. Um, and it, the way it steps back away from Massachusetts Street as it gets higher, um, it's a little hard to tell from the perspective, but the height of the building aligns with the, the gutter line of the Watkins Museum. Um, there's a view of that lobby space, uh, which you know, right now is a big, long, open corridor. Um, I've been talking with Kim Ansbach at um, Explore Lawrence with the idea of um, using what would be a museum information desk really as a visitor center for Lawrence. Uh, it places it at a uh, at kind of an entry point to downtown right here at the, at the southern end uh, and would probably make good use of the uh, space, encourage more people into the Friendship Garden and also into, um, into the museum itself. And then there's a, a little view of the uh, uh, of the back of the building, which would come up to the edge of the alley. Uh, again, designed to keep the architecture of the Watkins building in mind, but not to uh, mimic it. Um, I, I think in terms of moving the project forward, it does have things to recommend it. Uh, the the uh, master plan for downtown talks about entry points, and this would create a noticeably public building uh, at the southern entry point. The problem with the Watkins building right now is while it is a public building, sure doesn't look like one. Um, it doesn't give much of a clue as to what kinds of activities take place in there. And it doesn't do a very good job of welcoming people in. Actually, that's kind of the opposite of what it was intended to do. You know, JB wanted to make sure that only the right kind of clientele came in. We want to make sure that the community feels welcome. Um, it, uh, like I mentioned before, the partnerships with Sister Cities and uh, the partnership with Explore Lawrence, um, I'm hoping can also use it as a way of forging a stronger partnership with the city, um, utilizing that lobby space as a visitor center uh, and helping to create something in downtown that will advance the principles of the, the strategic plan. Um, this can be an unmistakable identity moment for sure. Um, and uh, it serves as the kind of thing that can help welcome visitors to Lawrence and help them understand what 
what and who we are as a community. Um, this, of course, has a long way to go before it can become a project. Uh, this is really the beginning of just beginning to pursue whether we can can make this work. Um, there are you know two big things that need to be overcome. One is you know, can we work out an arrangement where the city will allow us to build behind the park and, and occupy a place of, in it? Um, and then also, do we have the wherewithal to raise the money that it would take to build the building? It's probably about an $8 million project that we'd like to raise $10 million and add $2 million to our endowment to help assure that we have the resources necessary to keep it up. So this is just just the beginning, um, but I wanted you all to you know have a sense of what we've been talking about, and you know if you have any thoughts or any questions, ask. Feel free. And Stan is back there too. I didn't let him say anything. <laughs> so I'm Stan. Stan is the architect who's been helping us just to see if we could even build a feasible building in the back there and what it would take. I have a quick question, John Blasingham, being an ex-mayor. Where's the city come in on telling what they build and stuff on? Uh, it be, is it a historic building? It will be the building code. Right? Uh, the building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what the building looks like is governed by both the Lawrence for uh, Lawrence uh, Historic Resources, uh, and also because the building is on the National Register, it has to pass the state preservation office. And actually, what I showed you, I've already shared with, a little bit with uh, with Patrick Zollner at the uh, Kansas Historical Society. We're going to have to make some modifications, Stan. <laughs> we we figured that, but but the concept was acceptable there. Questions. So, how big is the park? What would remain, and how is the park being used now, and how might that impact? So, several questions. Who are the user groups now? The the park. I'm not exactly sure the size of two city lots, but it's basically two city lots um, fronting Massachusetts Street, and almost a full city lot, with the exception of maybe twelve feet, fifteen feet across the back, which is that parking area. Um, right, it was. Uh, always a green space. Um, it, I don't remember, in the early 2000s maybe, was when the uh, the Japanese Friendship Garden was developed. There. Late 90s. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in, in that sense, it serves as a memorial to that program and our relationship with Harazuka. The Sister Cities um, uh, group here is uh, eager to um, bring this up with the uh, with Harazuka again, involve them in the redesign of the park, okay. uh, and perhaps even um, uh, ask them to help fund it, like they did with what is in there now. Um, but in terms of its public use, um, it gets some casual use. We see people in there on the benches sometimes um, for. Uh, like parade days and things like that when there's an activity on Massachusetts Street. That raised wall is a great place for people to stand uh, and view uh, what's going on in the street. Um, there is no regular programming that takes place out there. Uh, but Parks and Rec has been really generous with us, allowing us to use it for our own programs. What we find is that the noise on Massachusetts Street is such that it's not really conducive to something that you have to like listen to what's going on. We've done children's activities out there in that space. Um, and we envision the uh, that garden is still continuing to fulfill those 
kinds of functions. It's a good spot to eat ice cream when you've gotten an yeah. asylum status. Uh, I'm hoping we can encourage that with the uh, inclusion of uh, some more tables or benches there. Mm -hmm. And we want to keep the um, works of art that are installed there, which are gifts from uh, Hiratsuka to Lawrence, uh, keep those sited in the park. Why did they ever block the steps up? I know that just the ramp. I think it was I don't know. to be able to secure the space at night. There is a gate that crosses that ramp. I guess it saved them from having to set up another gate that could be locked at one access point. Um, right now, there's a, they've used that as, as a place to put the signifier for the garden. There's a medallion on that, and that would just get transferred to whatever we use to identify that as the entrance to the lock entrance museum. Um, we would stop using the main entrance of the Watkins Museum um, and encourage visitors to go up into the park and enter that way. Um, one of the things we've thought about, there were originally metal gates that were over those doors. The, the original part of the arch still remains. We would um, uh, replicate those and uh, install them closed so that they kind of hide the modern entry doors and maybe hopefully encourage people to pass by those main steps and, and up into the garden. I think too that the the Japanese atmosphere flavor of the garden has deteriorated over time. And I think this provides an opportunity to reinvigorate if Sister Cities is into it, you know. Yeah. Because I think some of us gave money. Uh, and that was for a Japanese Japanese garden. They actually, I don't know if you know this, they actually had a Japanese, they call them sensei, uh, clergyman come from Japan to actually bless the garden and also to tell us that certain things were not in the facing the right direction. <laughs> Hopefully we can fix this the second time around, but there's only so much we can do in a squared off city lot. Um, and it was also blessed with a, or uh, inaugurated with the Japanese tea ceremony. And mm -hmm. we have the tea service in the museum oh, collection. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and there, there is a tree or two that's uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Across the front are cherry trees, which you know certainly have that association, and they're really beautiful. And I would like to see those retained or replaced. Um, and then there are the works of art. The major trees around the the back of the garden; those are left from some point in time when it was a green space. Those big evergreens up against the um, Watkins Building. Those have been there from pretty much the beginning. Um, one of them has relatively recently died, and I think another one is on its way out. But uh, the city took the, the dead tree down and have cleaned that side of the, the garden up and have really improved its appearance. I have a question for Stan. Stan, what's the, tell us a little bit about the challenges of trying to add on to a historic building. Thank you. So, this one has several challenges. One is uh, just the connection of the four levels. So, the Watkins building has first story or basement. It's basically a story that's half buried. 
and then the grade level where we're going to be entering is about halfway between that and the uh, second story, middle story of the Watkins. So um, we create some challenges at that connection point where we have an elevator that we need to get into on three levels on our side and two levels on the other side that don't match up. Um, and then also thinking about the interior circulation. If you're not using the elevator, and being able to take those stairs up or down half a flight where we're coming into the building, there are some particular locations um, that are better than others for connecting to the building. And, the, and it has to do with the exterior elevation and it has to do with the interior ranking of spaces. So the place where we're coming in at the at the lower story and the main story of the Watkins, the best location is fortunately right on top of each other. And it's the second large window back on that north side. So if you look at the north elevation, there's a really nice pattern of three smaller arch windows that go up the stair. Um, and then, so there's the perspective of where we're acting. So you can so see that it's all, it was. Uh, yes, there we go. Yeah, there we go. There's the first one is there, it's a little dark. Yeah. Um, so, staircase. so, just in terms of circulation, that's one of the problems, one of the difficult one of the challenges. Uh, another issue with a historic listed building is that we need to be compatible. Um, it's definitely not advised to try to replicate or, or duplicate something that's uh, in place. Um, and um, we're, we're trying to find pieces from the museum that we can bring over either as texture or color or material and we've gone through several different versions yeah um, and this i mean this is still the part that you know the preservationists will <laughs> will quest call into question yeah so uh, it's yeah that's that's the main thing yeah. uh, with attaching to a historic building and even if we weren't attaching to the building uh, building something at that location is it has its complications because of the downtown historic district and downtown guidelines. Um, so I, I think in terms of the scale of the building, um, you know, I think in coming up to the height of the lower to the gutter line, that's really the maximum that we could go height-wise before it would start to feel like it's getting too big. And I think if it was that size and pulled all the way out to the sidewalk, I think at that point it would probably seem a little too big also. Um, so what we're what we're trying to do on the front is um, gives a little bit. So we're trying to there on the street. Yeah, we're we're trying to avoid a single tall plane on the front. So we're kind of stepping back. The second story comes out a little farther. The third story steps back a little bit, um, and that that has more to do with kind of the visual effect of how much space it's taking up. And 
So as it steps back, it it doesn't feel like it's encroaching as much. Okay. You said you 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 said the historic resources commission and board and so on and so forth. I'd be more concerned with the average citizen <laughs> seeing this as the only yeah. contemporary looking building on Massachusetts Street. Well, no, there's the, the office tower at uh, 9th and Mass. Um, oh, Mass. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a disaster. Well, it know. is. I mean, something better than that. But it's, it's you know, it's it's not the only contemporary yeah. building. So one, well, you're going to have to convince I know. Yeah. One, so in great, one of the challenges is if you go to the other end of Massachusetts Street yeah. and um, you get to buildings across the street from the three bay. And you know, those look like they are intended for somewhere in the northeast. Yeah. And um, I think if you ask 50 people on Massachusetts Street, uh, opinions of buildings, you would probably get a pretty even split about uh, what people like and don't like. So, I mean, the, the, the challenge is, um, I guess in my mind, we're going to create a building that uh, meets the uh, standards and guidelines of the National Park Service uh, and trying to deal with additions to historic buildings. Yeah. Well, we may end up becoming advocates mm -hmm. because of the park and the renovation of the park. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering how does the park, how do, how do the parks people live? Um, one of the things I do want to add in that budget that I shared that takes into consideration the expense of changing the park that's not on top of that. Okay. Just, um, just before we, because I want to get that, um, basically, the, that's a construction site we're talking about, taking the park down and putting it back. Down. And putting it back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're clear that really, yeah. we're making a new park. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. So here's my uh, caveats. As the director of parks recreation, my duty is to protect green space and as the outcome champion of unmistakable identity and this community partner is one of our uh, uh, important community partners it goes to our outcome area of unmistakable identity groups and nonprofits, businesses approach the city all the time with proposals or concepts and so um, as the partner director i take a very cautious view until the public engagement weighs in on the proposals. Yeah. And um, that will be a lot of work if, and hearing what the board has to say on behalf of the Watkins to do that engagement with the public and the community to see if the community supports going forward the plan like this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm guarded. I, I see pros and cons. I see some neat things that could come from this. And, you know, I. You know, the Daphne's Friendship Garden Park is a very unique part, and it's historical and it's uh, been part of our community for a long time. Um, opportunities, we, um, 
not only uh, the sister cities and getting uh, some of that displayed at this desk board, the Phoenix Awards and some other things the city and now I'm mistaken what Andy goes forward with. I hadn't thought of the uh, Explore Lawrence and the Visitor Center. Um, I did have a question. Um, how long do you think it would take to raise eight to ten million dollars before even a project would even come um, back? I think the absolute earliest we would be able to move forward, and it would depend on what kinds of commitments we could get. Um, there are some opportunities for large grant support, um, matching grants from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Um, so there are some opportunities to bring money in, in big chunks if we can get community support in, in smaller chunks. But I think the, the soonest we would be able to actually do anything in the park would be mid-2025, and that's pretty optimistic. Okay. We need at least a year, if not a year and a half or a little more to raise the money. Typically, the way the Watkins has done capital projects is we raise all of the money that we need for the project, then we start the project. Um, I, I, I don't know if the board would want to start on something before we even we were assured we would be able to finish it the way it was So that could extend that fundraising time. It, it really didn't talk too much, I don't think, in your presentation, but the alleyway and the parking that Watkins uses um, we would do the best. Yeah, it actually goes in. Yeah, in parking. It fills that parking, with the exception of a, an area that we could use as a loading dock that still allows access to that the boiler room door in the existing building, um, but then creates uh, a, a place a little bit more conducive to getting deliveries, not from a semi truck or anything like that, but like a, a what did you call it, Stan? A box truck um, that could you know drop off chairs for a reception or, or a, a, a small traveling exhibit. And then is there viewing space on top of any of those roof surfaces or no. not? No, no public access. Uh, well, I take that back. There's, uh, this is an outdoor right. uh, like balcony area. Right. Okay, um, so there would be a balcony area. That yeah, that was along the aesthetics. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rooftop. Yes, there is more. Right. And with that, um, I know uh, I mean, the park director would probably uh, have some comments and uh, Porter and Lindsay, so I'll step back with them. I do have a couple of comments. Mark Hecker, assistant director of Parks and Recreation. Um, so this would be deviating from what we've ever done. So we'd be taking a public park and basically saying we don't need it anymore. We're going to get donated here or sell it here for another use. Now, so that hasn't happened since I've been here. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but that's a city commission level decision and for the public good. You know, they're looking at downtown parking as some of those development spots. So I can kind of see the yin and yang of that, and that it's kind of the same thing, but we really have never done where we're getting rid of a free space. And so, you know, the, the proposal you're putting together, I totally can see it there. However, you don't own the property. Exactly. Like developing your neighbor's property. Right. So, yeah, right. you know, so that, that I think will take a lot of public conversation because there's yes. a lot of people really in favor of that green space on mass. That's the only one we have that's kind of stuck in the middle of the building. So um, it is a fairly high use spot and it's just a green passive spot. 
you know, it has a few challenges also, but I rarely see anybody in there. It's often used, and yeah, especially on event days, or game days, and oh. there's mm -hmm. parades, and you know, the ice cream is the yeah. thing. So, but anyway, it, it would be a fairly decent public conversation, I think, on giving away a park because I think it would have to change ownership. We couldn't own the property that they're building sitting on because we don't own the building. So I think that would have to be a, a conversation that would be something we haven't done. Well, it surely does challenge our commitment to unmistakable identity on arts and recreation, arts and culture. Steve, um, how ready is your board to lead a fundraising drive of the kind that you imagine what's the capacity within your board and current staff or how do you plan to implement um, that the the board has expressed a commitment we're meeting i think in next week to really start to seriously look at what that would take um we know that um we'll will probably need some additional um, help, especially with like a community campaign, organizing that. Those are, are big and complicated and we would bring someone on for that. Um, I'm a competent grant writer and would um, approach those Very with uh, <laughs> both. Um, I think we have some opportunities with uh, um, like private foundations as well as, as federal grants. I'm also on that board. So, oh. I just didn't want to ask you to speak. Well, yeah, I didn't think about that. In my experience, boards are always in favor of new and better facilities. When you ask them, will you go out and solicit gifts? Yeah. The conversation can change sometimes. And so, we're having that conversation yeah. next week. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are, it's this is a, a we we are asking to do something that is really weird, change a park into a uh, into a, a different kind of public space, um, and and we've been kind of it's it's kind of a, a chicken and egg sort of thing. I hate to go out and like interest major donors in a potential project that might not be able to be built. Yeah. But I also didn't want to come to the city with a proposal to, hey, let's build this great thing, not knowing if we could even raise the money to do it. Because that's the other that's that's the other um, side of this equation. There are two things that will stop this project, uh, not, not being able to get approval to do it with the city, but also not being able to raise the funds. So we're kind of testing the waters on both sides right now. Um, and either one of them could, I think this continues the metaphor, swamp our, our rowboat. Um, well, so uh, we'll have to see, but we're crossing that, that bridge with the, um, um, uh, with the board next week and i talked with julie lovell at humanities kansas a little bit about this project just to sh see if she thought this is the kind of thing that would qualify for one of those significant matching grants and she was enthusiastic about it being able to qualify for that um and also enthusiastic about the fact that there are a lot of um uh, uh national Endowment for the humanities projects in kansas so they like to fund things that spread that stuff out around the country. I think our board will be asked at some point to, you know, take a stand pro or con. 
Yeah, and I just want you all to have as much information as you need to be able to, you know, think about what's in the best interests. Well, from your point of view, test of our commitment to the unmistakable identity, strategic. And I appreciate you bringing it forward, the concept, just to get it public because things can't grow in a vacuum. Right. And, really that engagement. Right. So, and it's so going to have to become more public, really, to be able to move it forward. Um, and I would expect this is the kind of thing you want to read about in the German world. You would like to know about it before it hits the German world. Good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate thank you uh, spending some time with us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Our next um, our next item is the discussion of the cemetery tour. What who's going to do what? Um, well, I figured the, the board, yeah, the board had any reflections on what they saw for the other people that weren't there and those types of things. My impression, one of the things that I was impressed with is the incredible maintenance for and just looking at all those trees and I'm thinking about the trees in my own yard. And the branches <laughs> they die, you missed that. Trying to maintain that the cemetery, I, especially given the desire to meet, you know, sta cemetery stand high cemetery standards. So, I now remember was board member. I don't know how they could mow, I don't know how they could mow it on a riding mower because there's so many small. Yeah. Plots that are in the ground, and and because it's not a unit, I didn't know that there were the two styles of cemeteries, and I'm used to the one that's you know laid out in a row. So, so yeah, it seems like you'd have to be out there with a little push lawn over for a lot of hours to yeah. to really respect the um, monuments. Yeah, you know? I think so, it was really uh, it was really positive that Mitch was there too. Mm -hmm. Good. That that was, I think, really. Anyone else? Beautiful yeah. cemetery, and I'm so impressed with the volunteer work that's done, as well as staff work, and uh, we're lucky to have them. I learned something new every time we go out. We had a new speaker, and yep. uh, mm -hmm. just seeing from a year ago some of the stones that have been cleaned and straightened, and that was just really cool. It's really an example of community um, volunteerism because those folks are doing a lot of work, um, physical and otherwise, to maintain it, promote it, so on. So I, I was very impressed with them and what they're doing. I didn't know whether this was like a prelude to them asking for more money or if there was like some bigger story that they were hoping to present to us. Is, it, is there? Yeah, I think that discussion came up. Well, can we do more or can't you do it? And we have items in CIP and Harps um, had had that in there to continue on restoration of stones, straightening, and it just didn't make the cut in this last CIP. And that's where, you know, the. Friends of the Oak Hill Cemetery want to help promote that and 
work on it, trying to get back in CIP. I think that would be beneficial to uh, mm. they're trying to promote. Are they aware of that? When we were at the cemetery, and I'm pretty sure that group knows that they didn't, well, didn't make the cut on the CIP. Wasn't that part of the discussion when they were here the last time you know the update? I thought that was part of that. It's not no, we talked about this year's budget, what funds were budgeted next year. I know it's not sure they're aware of next year, but it isn't funded. So, Oak Hill is very unique because, as you said, the layout isn't straight rows. Some of them are laid out in circles. Yeah. Try to figure out how to mow that on a riding horse, nearly impossible. Yeah, honestly, you can see that we can make this really cool, but it's man hours because you could literally assign one person, you do these three sections, and you just take care of them. And we don't have that luxury. You know, if we don't want to spray around all the markers, we have to trim around the markers. Trimming takes big money. So, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's frustrating for staff a little bit in that. We can see what we need to do and we know how much it costs and we just don't have the funding at the level to maintain it below a lot of people would like us to and we get behind um, you know the grass grows really quickly sometimes and then that just snowflakes on us so it's a challenge okay uh so let's move on uh, to the next item concerns um, or board member items of interest we got the box installed at Edgewood, new little piece, and it's all nice and flush and safe, unlike the other one we had to take out. But and we had it epoxied down, so it won't be you know moved around in spots. So everybody seems to like it. It's cool. Saw the water fountain also. Is that done? Um, I saw that they. I was there yesterday. They got the concrete all done, but I didn't know if there was a. The timeline for when there should be close to them. Cool. Yeah, and they talked to me last week and they said they were getting close to getting it installed. So, yeah, it's a good pitch off right there. I had a taxpayer ask me about the foot. Is there the footbridge at K10 in Iowa? Is it? I know, didn't we talk about it last time? And I, and I lost some of the details. Is that actually just a footbridge or is it for bikes or? She heard about it somewhere. Yeah. So that'll be extension of the Lawrence Loop to we'll go over that um, Iowa. And that'll be built with the KDOT project. So which is kind of cool because it was two separate projects. But KDOT was partially funding the, the bridge. So the conversation is how do we get that trail crossing so we aren't crossing Iowa Street? Either we go under or go over. And as they looked at it, they felt like the under was going to collect too much water. So they designed this nice overstructure that is going to be pretty much a gateway. Will it be pretty gradual then? For yeah. The yeah. <laughs> Very gradual. That's what she was saying about. She said, our yeah, we're <laughs> Okay. There's guidelines on the slopes that okay. can, are considered um, ADA standards. So, oh, really? For people who are rolling and walking, whenever you do a pedestrian bridge, it's yeah. got to be a very gradual oh. thing if you want wheelchair users and oh, other right, people right. who have mobility devices to yeah. use it. So, I'm hoping that it is. So, yeah, we have to hit a one to 20 slope to be a, a continuous slope. So, it, I, I can try to say so this rendering of it which is fairly recent where they've just put out some renderings that go with the bridges that'll go there over. Okay, yeah, I'd like to see that. 
I have a couple items for future agendas that I'd like to see. One is um, an update on um, unhoused people in our parks. It's obviously becoming a huge public hub and issue. And I feel like it's been a while since we've heard from you guys about what's going on. Um, is, it, is it changing? Is it growing? Is it staying the same? What are some of the problems and stuff like that? I'd love to hear about that. The other thing, and I don't know if we can get this kind of presentation, but Derek, I'm interested in the process for replacing you. And when does that get started? And what's that process look like? Yeah, if we have the room. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, to your point, October 17th City Commission meeting should be an update on that house, which also covers parks, um, library, and other city property. And so that would be a, an overreaching. I think you'll get a lot of what you're looking for in that one at the City Commission meeting. What was that day? October 17th. Yeah. Should be Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. So if you guys get get any directives coming out of that, um, we're interested in kind of at the department level of what you are being asked to do or asked not to do. Okay. Um, and whether you guys have opinions about what should happen next. Okay. And then update on my replacement. I know that. The, uh, the bids have gone out and they're also looking for another finance director. So I, I think that um, is moving forward, but I'll probably get you an update for the next, uh, hopefully by November 13th. I think that's our next meeting. I can provide uh, more guidance where we are. Yeah, I'd be interested if they're using a search firm or if there's a search committee and what that whole process. There was a question that one of the board members had and I got it from Brandon, and he said that uh, they're going through a procurement, procurement process to hire a recruiting firm uh, that will lead the recruitment for us. And then he also anticipated the same firm will be leading the finance director search. So they kind of, they started it. And then when the finance director left, they basically paused while they could do the review of the folks that we had. And then they sent out RFPs for them and they got back to them. and. Um, so it's taken a little bit more time, but it should be in the process here in the next, I would say, week or so that we've, I think they've got them secured potentially now. They should anyway, because that's what they had told us. I'm assuming that we're going to be involved, but that's... Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to get with Brandon and see, and we'll have, we'll have a report for next week. Just to follow up, does that mean, I mean, searches take a long time, there will be an interim director or? I have no idea. Someone that would be my assumption. Yeah. They don't have okay. somebody replaced, so be an interim. Yeah. John Blonte, so you got to help me out. I mean, because you announced your retirement in July. Yes. And that's six months, and they wait till you're gone before they start looking? Is that what you all They started the process. They, they've got to put on RFP. I wasn't uh, in, they asked some of our department to help with what uh, should go into the RFP for a search firm. Uh, I think some of the people here uh, may have been involved with that as a review prospects. 
then uh, they put it out and then they get the bids back. And that's about the time that uh, Jeremy, the finance director, left Wilmoth. And it's like, well, can we get two for one? So, yeah. It's, it's just every time. I agree with you, John. I, I like things done a little bit faster. Than well, I just think, I mean, I'm off. In fairness to these people that still have committees and these people that are employed, I'm thinking you got six months to look. Yeah, and I don't know where they are. I'll provide an update, but I would think they'd be yeah. close. So. What do I know? No. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the cultural arts. Um, I'm I'm the culprit that has all this print material in front of you, but please take some uh, big news. The Phoenix Awards are happening this Sunday at four o'clock at Theater Lawrence, celebrating six different arts uh, recipients um, for their great work in the arts world in Lawrence. And I'm very pleased because this is the first time we've done it since the pandemic. So it's great to get this back up and running, which is wonderful. So please help yourself and hope you can join us for that. Um, just I've seen, have, I've seen lots of material. So the marketing on that has been responded to here. Thank you. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um, the other thing is just for your awareness, the Community Arts Grant Program is a, a grant program through the Cultural Arts Commission. Um, that is open right now so people can apply. Um, as of now, we have a new grant program this year is a mini grant program. Um, we know through research that a lot of young artists who are up and coming often need to buy some, some sort of piece of equipment, let it, you know, table saw or something along those lines. It's, it's more than just a hundred bucks. So it's a $500 mini grant program for that type of situation. So we can give some of those grants out, I think up to five grants and then bigger grants for more serious projects or more involved projects. So that's underway, and we're going to do a, re a pre-review on that for new people coming in so that we can take a look at their grant application and make sure that they're on track, give it back to them before they submit their final application on December 18th. And that's all on the city's website, so you can have that information there. And I'm going to trickle in. Um, you're also seeing here that we have two different brochure pieces of information. One is about the open house that's coming up on October, let me get the date right. Wednesday, October 25th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. at Flory Meeting Hall at Douglas County Fairgrounds. So they're gonna, our consultant team is having an open house for that. And then the arts consultant person, Amanda Golden, has this poster, which is, she has been interviewing various arts and culture people in town, has discerned that she needs to speak to these individual groups more directly. So she's holding um, these four virtual sessions that are listed there. And there's one for festivals and events, which is going to happen this Thursday. Uh, visual arts, which is happening Friday. Performing arts next Tuesday and general arts and culture next Wednesday. These are all going to be handled virtually. So anybody can join in, listen in, or participate along those lines. And um, she actually coincidentally is going to meet with the arts roundtable folks tomorrow. Um, for their monthly meeting over lunch. And so it was a great opportunity to tap a lot of people and spot the table at that time. Do you know so, that they'll be recorded? So if you're not able to make the time. Um, she's tentative about, she wants to make sure people speak freely. And so she's cautious. I have sent her our YouTube channel and pointed out, we pretty much record every meeting we do. So people here are used to the transparency level. So I'm encouraging her to do that. Um, but, I'll, you know, it's really up to them whether they decide to do that or sure. not. And then real quick about this one, 
you're it is this an open house like come as you can you don't yes. need to be there at five right okay there'll be a lot of good information so i would you know say that people should plan on spending at least 30 45 minutes to really get something out of it maybe longer if they really have but the steering committee is also going to meet that right, right? i believe that's true yes. too I, I haven't seen that schedule but i think no. that's accurate so these are all the upcoming things. In addition to that, um, they're going to be doing an ETC survey. Um, so oh, they're, they're actually developing that survey now. We've been helping them as much as we can. And uh, what is ETC? Oh, sorry. ETC Institute is a professional survey company out of Overland Park. They do surveys all over the country. They actually do the city's community satisfaction survey. So they're real experts in this. So they've done a survey, and I know they've worked with conflicts before, specifically geared for the comprehensive um, plan. So that'll be going out. And they pick a random sampling of households trying to make sure they cover um, the, you know, a strata of, of people in town. So it's very much a statistically valid survey effort, and they're going to be working on that. And then they're also going to implement Social Pinpoint, which is a community engagement online platform system. That I know very little about. It looks pretty cool, and they've used it in the past, so that'll be coming as well. Makichi might follow up a little bit on that. That that meeting is the start of public engagements. We want to start hearing from all of our user groups. So if we need pickleball, we need golf, we need skate, we need everybody who wants to be involved in the comprehensive plan. So we need to do some more getting fingers out to the community that there should be a, a whole bunch of people at this meeting and not just you know five of us standing around looking at each other so yeah yeah that was going to be my question there are many groups that have i'm sure would like to have input and i'm just wondering how they find out about this yeah that, that's always the challenge and, and we know we're, we have about 120 user groups that we work with so I, I think that's what Lindsay and, and these folks are going to work on next week or so is try to at least get it out to the people exactly. that run those groups and hopefully they distribute it to their their membership so and you yeah. all are empowered to do the same <laughs> absolutely um, and, and i want to thwart i've heard um people say well are these invite only focus groups and you know that this is open community engagement so anybody that wants to participate i don't want anybody to think that they can't come they can come Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was going to say, and then you can went out today. And things went out today. It'll be followed up with some social media. Um, so we're getting the word out um, every week. Mm -hmm. Well, the EGC survey will love looking forward to that. It's a great piece of valid information. Is that a paper survey or an email survey? They actually mail it. I think they have an online option. So if you receive that letter, then you could go online and do it that way. But it is very specific to the households they send it to. Yeah, it doesn't go to everybody. They, we, in the past, we did open up the survey to the public at large to, to be able to take the survey. But there is the valid survey that's mailed and you can work to get a percentage. Because you have emails for 120 user groups, David. When you said 120, mm -hmm. that was really expensive. Yeah. It's really intimidating when you start thinking about all the, I guess, dog park, it's soccer, oh, yeah. soccer, oh, yeah. and two swim clubs, oh, yeah. and it starts to ignore escaping. Mm -hmm. Even if we got one person from each group, it would be amazing. Yeah. I got a question on that, on the surveys. Because I read this in the paper, city council, they talk about, well, when 
42 people respond to the survey, and that's what they said. I mean, there's 100,000 people there. I've lived here 11 years and never gotten a survey. So how, how can they take decision-making off such a small percentage of responses, surveys? Well, they have a, they actually know the math on this. So for instance, the community survey had to be over 900 people responding. And based on those 900, then they can extrapolate. That's the statistically viable aspect. I don't know the number for this one. I'm not sure if it's the same amount. The survey, as you might be hearing about it through Lawrence Listens, which is really not so much a survey as more of a public forum. So you're right, at that point, 42 people, you can't really say definitively, this is what the city believes. But through these other more strategic surveys, especially random sampling, you can actually extrapolate from a smaller number, you know, generally what the representation is across the community. And I understand, I just know coming back from my world, the education, if I had 5,000 students in my building, 5,000 families got it. Yeah. And so I just, I kind of chuckle when I read the city council talk about, we got so many responses, that's what we think. I'm lost on that, John. Is that how you, when you were mayor, is that what you did on staff? When I was mayor, we didn't have access to um, social media and all that stuff. So it was very different. I think the EQC is, I mean, you know, they do stuff nationally, so they know what they're doing. And I think to have a statistically valid survey is, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm tired of the loud voices get the, you know, get the most attention. And I enjoy, I mean, I like your explanation on the data analytics, and I enjoy that stuff. But I just always, and John, when they do this, they present a really comprehensive report that mm -hmm. show a map of actually who answered from where, so they make sure they really canvass the whole. Um, but it's only forty-two out of hundred thousand. No, no, no. But I guarantee it's a bigger number than that. I don't know the actual numbers. For the city, the last survey was eight hundred. They oversampled, went to a thousand. Not only did they do paper, they actually went out in the parks and got feedback. This one, I want to say the ETC representative was talking 600-ish. I think that was wrong. Had to have a surveys to have a statistically valid survey. 600 out of 100,000? I believe so, yeah. Okay. So one part of that too, John, is that's one of the tools. So these public meetings are another part of this. What happens sometimes at the public meetings, this is my third master plan, so I've seen it happen. You can get a single user group it's like flooding those meetings. Yeah. So all there is is pickleball. Yeah. Not saying that would happen, but but so you get what you're hearing in the meetings plus yeah. what the survey is saying. So then they mesh that together on recommendations. So okay. it, it, it's not a bad process, but you got to have all of it to work. If you just did the survey and didn't go out and talk with people, you get a pretty skewed look too. And going back to the last public or the comprehensive plan we did we opened up that um, survey to the public and we had like thirteen thousand people do it online but you know i could go back out there to another computer and do it myself so that's why it's not a valid survey but we did get a lot of feedback as well and i, I think they were going to do that again this time i believe well, i have a little uh, different uh, question here um I'm thinking about the unmistakable identity thing, you know, it's, um, with the skate park, 
the investments that are going into the skate park? Do we have an arts component of that? Um, no, because we did not receive CIP funding for the um, public art resolution. Oh, man. We, we do have uh, Nick Ward is on the Lawrence Skaters Association. We got a grant for like a mural. Um, it was like a small amount of money. I can't remember how much, maybe like a thousand or something like that. But we've been working on trying to like get a like kind of community project together at Edgewood to like maybe cover up some of the graffiti that isn't so good and make a mural there to at least like kind of integrate that. Uh, yeah. I think the thing is with the skate park, even though having, you know, art and skateboarding is pretty hand in hand, but I think people, the, the users would rather have a like better facility within art on top of it later. Um, but I think that's definitely something we could do, especially with a lot of the skateboarders being artists. And I think we, we had a we had a Van Gogh bench out there for a while. Oh cool. Okay. 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 John, I have two more things. Roger happily reminded me. Um, the Autumn Handcraft Harvest Festival is happening on Sunday, October 15th from nine to four in South Park. So that'll be happening. Busy Sunday this week. Um, and in addition, the Transient Guest Tax Grant Program, which is for events, is going to open on October 18th. Um, so that's coming up as well. We'll be getting information to you all on, on that too, but Ron, I encourage people, especially if you haven't applied to, to um, do that. Now I'm done. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Recreation update, Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay Hart, assistant director. Um, a lot going on in the recreation world. So um, as you can see in the uh, report from the rec division, we have a lot of programs, um, events, a lot of things going on. So it's a really fun time of year. Um, I did want to add to the report um, just a quick update on revenue, um, which is always something we're monitoring and keeping an eye on. But um, compared to this time last year, we're up over a million. We're about 1.1 million higher than we were in wow. a year ago. So it's really encouraging. Um, I feel really good about hitting our, our updated revenue goal for 23. Um, I think we'll have no problem with any of that. So um, programs are going great. Registration numbers are, are looking up. Roger tracks that for us. And uh, we feel really good about our program participation right now. So it's it's a really fun time. Is that like, is those numbers, are they like close to pre-COVID stuff or is it exceeding it yet? Or? In terms of enrollments, yes, oh. we are at 2019. Nice. So that's even, yeah. And, and actually the way it's been this year could rival one of our top years ever. Um, it's, we've kind of taken a dip with the fall, but we've kind of reshuffled the way we've done enrollment this time. So I can't really... It's not, it's kind of apples and oranges that I'm looking at, but I will say that 2016 and 2015, the two years that, that we've had very, very big enrollments, we're right neck and neck with them for the year. So I'm looking at either the top three on time since I've been doing uh, for enrollment a year, and that's been 21 years. So, this, and, and I've been here, I was here with you in 2019, those high numbers. And I don't know if you can answer this, and I don't want you to get in trouble. But with the budget getting better like that, and our numbers are getting up there, with the price increase at the golf course, 
Because I asked them the other day their numbers, and they, they feel there's going to be over 50,000 people at that golf course in a year. Is that, is that Mark, your golfer, is that right? Is it that high? They're having a very good year. Yeah, I knew that. They're hitting a lot of revenue numbers that we haven't seen before, so it's yeah. great. I don't know the, the count on the large number of players, but... But 50,000. Yeah. It's, I mean, and then, you, you know, we raised prices, which we needed to. I just think that has to be huge on your budget. It means every other person in Lawrence is playing golf. <laughs> you can play golf because your name is on that. You were on the city council. He built the course. He built the course. <laughs> he did. Name's on the back. Your name is on it. It's not on the. Val, we need to get you out there. You can make it. If you want. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, Parks update. Uh, let me hit a few of our big projects, Mark Hecker, System Director. So the splash pads will be going down this week. So the temperatures, high temperatures in the 60s, so we aren't seeing much use. So we're going to take both of those down. And that'll allow us to finish the construction on Lions and then do a oh. revamp on the Burroughs Creek when we have a pipe that was leaking under the thing. So we were waiting for shutdown. So that's coming up. The Broken Arrow Shelter is done. We had yeah. events in there this last weekend, so that was cool. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We still have next phases to go. Did you get any feedback? Um, didn't hear any feedback, okay. but I think going into the fall, people are really going to love that glass around. Yeah. You know, especially this October where you know, it could be 40 degrees or it could be 80 degrees. So no we'll be working on heating and air conditioning systems as we go into next year. So we'll make it a true year on the other thing that'll happen over there is the restaurant's going to get replaced, and it's it'll probably happen November, December this year. So that'd be a good upgrade. I went to Pete. I'm just curious: is the do people need the horseshoe? That's yeah, it's there's a, again a user group, very specific user group that use that all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, general public, I would say not a lot. Yeah, and it, it's kind of. Goes up and down in popularity. It went over to South Real School. So the YSC lights, so the upgrades from to from what we had to LED lights, those are all complete. So the two big soccer fields, the fourplex is all now LED, and two of the four on the south end are LED. So there's two fields that aren't, but we ran out of money. So we'll come back and catch those next time. But that's going to be a huge upgrade. If you look at the spill light on those, if you go out there now, you can't even tell they're on if you're driving yeah. by. Or before you could see it, you know, coming over the bridge at Iowa Street. So it's an amazing upgrade. Hopefully, the guy up on the hill was complaining all the time. <laughs> so it was shining in his window. Yeah, that went on for great. years. Yeah, was his name Blazik? No. We said after you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, big upgrade we're doing out of the golf course on the driving range. So we went in and put artificial turf tees in so that we could be more, less dependent on good grass. So what we're having is when, with all those golf teams that are out there, the high schoolers and the college, they just wear the yeah. So we can now put them on turf and let them swing away, it doesn't impact our grass, and that allows us to actually grow the grass and then get people back out on grass. So that's a huge upgrade, and, and I'll get you some pictures of that, but that's something we've been wanting to do for years and years. So now we have 24 hitting stations on turf. Oh, quick question on that. Did you make money all winter? Did you enclose that? 
Yes. In now, I don't know. Yes. But you really? Yeah, it would be, you'd have to really do a cost analysis on it because you'd have to basically shelter it, light it, because you, you yeah. lose your hours, and then heat it. So, you know, I don't know if you can make enough money to make it profitable or not. You yeah, yeah. There are serious factors out there with that intramural all team. Oh, yeah. 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 They dig up some grass. So, anyway, that's a big improvement. Another improvement at Eagle Bend, we're replacing the irrigation pump station, which is a project we've been working on for about three years. So, the one that's there now is original to the golf course when it was built. So it's going to be basically taken completely out, a whole new system put in its place. So once we start on this, we're at the point of no return where we'll have no water until we get done with the new system. November 1st, we're taking the whole one down. So we have about three months of reconstruction. So hopefully we hit right with the weather and we don't go into it too dry. But that's a big project that no one will care about because it basically waters grass. But it's pretty important on the then the the uh, level of sophistication on that system is pretty amazing because you can literally get on your iPad and turn on water mm. all over the golf course. So, and, um, holiday lights. October 16th, we start hanging holiday lights. Okay. That's like next week. Right. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Nice. Yeah. A couple of design projects. So Centennial Skate Park, we have a design build consultant on. He did a survey, sent it out. I haven't seen the results. Sent it out to the community on what they wanted to see in the design build. So that's going to happen. The project's been basically initialized and paid for. So we're just figuring out what we want to build now. So great. have you seen what the results are? I think uh, I want to say it was like 250 responses, maybe more. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. And everybody agreed. Yeah, everybody wanted the same thing. Exactly the same. <laughs> now we have a lot of different response. But yeah, when Ben uh, Havlock, the guy's kind of running, he's up in South Dakota finishing a project. And I think once he's done there, done there, we're going to kind of meet and kind of try to consolidate ideas and stuff. So good. Uh, YFC, we're, uh, Lindsay and I and Darren Pearson are working with the design consultant on getting that turf project going. So we've done a master plan for the whole complex, and then we're identifying what pieces we want to build first. So if you remember, we have a $3.9 million budget for this project. We'll be putting in one, two, three, maybe four turf fields with lights. So that'll really improve soccer and football, and maybe a little bit into baseball, softball for practices. So. We're pretty excited about that. Hopefully, we'll have that ready to bid December-ish, um, completed by next June. Where is that? Out of the youth sports complex. So the trouble on this one is we have to hit between seasons. So we're going to maybe wipe out the spring season for soccer on those six fields. But then we have to have it back up by fall because then we have soccer and football going at the same time. So that's fun. Um, what else? Oh, the outdoor pool. So we've been meeting with the design consultant. We're going to get an RFP out to the design of the outdoor pool. So in our budget, we have a $5.6 million over three years to basically renovate the outdoor pool. First year, next year, we have 250000 just for design and public interaction. Cool. So that's what we're going to start with. That's what we're getting bids on. Once we figure out what we want to build and get a real price tag for construction, then we'll roll it back to the city commission and kind of give them the pretty pictures on which one would you like based on public feedback. 
So that's going to be a you know it's a three year project, but we're going to start on it as soon as we possibly can. So yeah, those public pools around the around the country are amazing. Yeah, I mean they're like going to Disney World or something. Absolutely. Because you will be surprised that I have ideas. You should have ideas. I've spent enough time sitting in chairs. Yes, yes, sitting there contemplating what we could do. Now, I, what I'm hoping on that is we get the design consultant on that has expertise in, in upgrading facilities, and they have expertise in public engagement. So that's what we're really looking for, is someone who can go out and talk with the public. Because there'll be conflict. It'll be the, the lap swimmers versus the recreational swimmers versus the kids that just want spray features. So it'll be interesting. And we only have one pool. So it's not like, you know, you can just go to a different pool. There'll be a conversation. Do you leave it downtown? Do you not leave it downtown? Our professional opinion is you leave it downtown. So, that you know, it, it'll be an interesting conversation. They'll, they'll earn their money, I think. Yeah. Eric, uh, director's report? Oh, sure. The trail? Which, oh, the one we're going to close? Yeah, so we're, you'll see a public or a, a press release coming out. We're going to close a section of the Lawrence Loop starting at 6th Street. So they're redoing that bridge intersection on 6th Street. You have the trail that goes underneath it. So it's going to have it close on the north side of that. And it'll go over to um, Bob Billings just because that trail section will be dead and can't be accessed from any direction. So it's going to leave us a gap. They're going to post a really horrible detour that will take you up to George Williams and over and down. Yeah, it'll add to your trail experience. So, five or six miles of bike ride. Mile markers 13 to 14. Be good if you could get the Friends of Lawrence Area Trails um, an update on that, which they will push out for. Yeah, well, at that time, we got the information Friday that they were doing this. And so, I'm getting all the social posts ready to go. Yeah. And I guess it's still open. I thought it was closing today, but yeah, I think it's still open. I didn't drive by there, but I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Well, Pat was giving me the mile marker. Okay. 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 A um, couple things. Uh, Saturday morning, I went through the YSC intersection at 27th and K10. Talk about a busy time. And I'm so looking forward to getting that intersection fixed that we don't have traffic waiting because it was going clear up the hill again. I was surprised I didn't have any complaints. Uh, Mark talked about the lights and uh, the individual up the hill that said he could read his newspaper. That's awesome. <laughs> the other piece of that, that I can't remember who all went out that night when we met with that gentleman, you listen to the ballparks. Those old lights were humming like nobody's business. So it's got the quiet. It's actually peaceful out there, I think. Yeah. From what I'm hearing, so I think that's phenomenal. Um, we've been trying to uh, improve our vendor experience and uh, for the patrons out there at YSC. And we contracted with Lemonade Stand. I've heard really good reports from this last weekend. I haven't tried any other food, uh, but I think that was well received from everything I heard. Um, so I'm excited about that. We just did a very short um, uh, agreement to get us through the end of this year and get us through the sports. But we wanted the people, the users, the patrons that have something and you hate to go all the way out there and not have food, drinks, and other things. Um, Reverend Car Show was uh, in the park, and I just wanted to bring up um, 
That car show raised funds for Ballard Community Center. They raised $50,000 last week. That is just phenomenal um, for their 14th or 15th year of doing it, that they were able to do that. Um, this last weekend also was uh, actually the previous weekend. Robbie Steinhardt Foundation. Robbie, uh, they uh, the foundation donated a a violin and a case and a display uh, to the city and also to the Lawrence High School Alumni Association. Um, so uh, we've been talking with our community partners, and I think Explore Lawrence and the Visitor Center um, might be one of the first places we display that, so the community can uh, become acquainted that one of the original members of the bank Kansas was a Lawrence resident. So. He was my green school boyfriend. Oh, <laughs> oh, nice. yeah. Can you prove it? <laughs> okay. Uh, so. yeah, no, 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 are still around. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Sister City is a head of delegations for 18 and uh overall delegation. They received the proclamation for St. Lawrence, and that was pretty cool too. Which was sweet. And then November 4th is the uh, Veterans Day Parade. They moved it off of uh, the 12th because of the football game at 10 a.m. Um, the Halloween paint-in downtown. That's another neat thing that Parks and Recreation uh, Sports. That's coming up, I think, this 18th. So it's coming up soon. So if you're looking for uh, kids to be painting the windows of businesses downtown. <laughs> Uh, you have to avoid football weekends. Yeah, I'm trying to slip these things in. So, and that's all I've got. I think staff did a great job of covering just about everything else. So thank you. Well, I asked Lindsay about PBS came and did some filming. Yeah, yeah. I can just jump on that real quick. But um, yeah, the Nature Center is um, doing some really fun things. Um, besides a bunch of uh, facility upgrades they're working on right now. Um, here in, over the next month or so, you'll have to go visit. But um, PBS is um, airing a segment. It's called My World 2, um, I think is this particular segment. Um, we don't have the air date yet. It's going to be in November or December. Uh, but they came out and they shot. I think they were there for about eight hours. They were a full day. So um, Dara and Rachel did a great job doing some demonstrations and showing the animals and talking with them. And I think out of all that filming, it's going to be about a four or five minute segment segment, but it, it was really a neat experience. They did a great job. Uh, we're really excited to see that. So hopefully I'll have a, a date. Um, we'll get notified when it's going to air and I can share that maybe at our next meeting. Wow. Well, okay. That's great stuff. Yeah. Um, anything else we ought to be talking about? Just a quick comment. I'm very glad you guys did a design bill. We made the mistake of doing a design with one company to build another. Yeah, and that's rough. Very no, no hope. No. So well done. Nice meeting. Yes, well done. Nice meeting. Just because he won't be here. Okay. Okay. So our next meeting is November what? Thirteenth. And. Your last meeting? That will be my last meeting. Yes. Doing a party? party? Yeah, we're doing a party. <laughs> we we work on a party. We're going to have to do that. Uh, the good news is, I'm, from my perspective, maybe bad news, but I'm staying at Lawrence. Don't plan on going anywhere. So, <laughs> so. Okay. 
Um, can we have a motion to adjourn? I move we adjourn. Second. 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 Second.